A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode of Oppo is brought to you in part by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is easy-to-use accounting software designed specifically with you, the small business owner or freelancer, in mind. FreshBooks makes it easy to stay in the black without seeing red. It's genuinely easy to invoice, expense, and manage your books as a small business owner. For more information, go to freshbooks.com oppo. This episode of Oppo is brought to you in part by Audible. Audible has the best audiobook performances, the largest library, and the most exclusive content curated by and for Canadians. Start a 30-day trial and your first Audible book is free. Learn more at audible.ca slash Canada. That's audible.ca slash C-A-N-A-D-A. From Canada land, this is Oppo. I'm Sandy Garasino in Los Angeles today. And I'm Jen Gersona. I'm in Calgary and so jealous. What are you doing in Los Angeles? My God, that's so sexy. Renovations. <laughs> Dealing with my kids. Can you just can you just like shift your, your computer just like a little bit to the right so I can see the sunlight again? That oh, would you be, want to and, see and, the sunlight? <laughs> I do want to see the sunlight a little bit. Show me a life. Show I'll me show a you life. Some sun. I'll show you. Oh, it's green. I can see green again. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> On this week's show, we sit down with Alakan Vilshi, Vice President of Corporate Affairs for Huawei Canada, to talk about that company's role in Canada. Oh my God, do you want to sit through this? It's going to be fun. This episode of Oppo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the fantastically easy-to-use accounting software. You started a small business because you love what you do, so why don't you have time to actually do it? FreshBooks helps you focus on your craft by saving you time invoicing, expensing, and tracking your work. It's so easy to use with built-in automation to ensure you spend as little time as possible invoicing, expensing, and tracking time, you can get back to what actually matters to you, growing a business. FreshBooks has plans designed for all types of small businesses, so whether you're a freelance, photographer, a carpenter, or a podcaster, choose a plan that's right for you. FreshBooks has everything you need to manage your books, invoices, expenses, time tracking, etc. One of the best features? Late fees and reminders. That means less awkward conversations and more forward planning. FreshBooks is a simple and intuitive tool for small business owners. But if you ever need a bit of help wrapping your head around something, they have an award-winning Toronto-based support team who are always happy to help. For more information, go to freshbooks.com oppo. 
So, Alakan, let's start with, can you just give us your title and what you're doing now? So I'm the uh, Vice President of Corporate Affairs of Huawei Technologies Canada. And how did you uh, come to that particular role? Last year uh, in February, um, you know, Huawei was, was obviously in the news a lot in Canada. Um, it's a global technology company with a range of issues in Canada. And, uh, you know, we, we connected with one another and well, they, they hired me. So you actually have a very interesting political background as well, which is kind of interesting as to why they would pick you for that role. Yeah, you know, look, I, um, I've worked in, in government, I've worked in politics, I've worked in the media, and I also worked at McKinsey, which is a management consulting company in their telecom practice. And so I think they saw that I had uh, an interesting combination of skills uh, and expertise, and um, you know, I think the fit was right. And just so that our audience knows, like, what can you give us some specifics about some of the political actors you've worked for as well? Sure. So my background is largely been in conservative politics. So um, from 2007 until 2011, I worked for Jason Kenney, um, who's now Premier of Alberta. But back then, he was a junior minister uh, in the Harper government and then eventually Minister of Immigration. I also worked for John Baird when he was Minister of Environment. And then I worked for several years for Stephen Harper um, as one of his senior aides. So that's sort of my political background. And I've worked in sort of conservative politics federally and provincially since then. And then obviously I have a corporate background at McKinsey as well. So how do some of the conservative people you used to work for or work with feel about the fact that you're working for the Chinese now? Well, I mean, look, it's a, it's a global company that's founded and based in China. I think that um, as I tell my conservative friends, it was under the Harper government when Huawei was first invited into Canada in 2008. And it was under the Harper government when Huawei landed its first 4G LTE contract. And um, it was, in fact, uh, as far as I can tell, the, the only minister of industry to visit um, a Huawei facility was uh, Tony Clement uh, when he came to our Markham office. And so, so, so you're telling um, us that Huawei has Harper's seal of approval then? Is that, is that your position here? I haven't spoken to uh, to the former prime minister about uh, about my job at Huawei. That's a pretty convenient timing here, because, I mean, you're talking about Huawei coming in at a time when I think that the general expectations for the Chinese were globally quite optimistic. And we know that in the last couple of years, that optimism has downshifted very dramatically over on a couple of um, very important uh, events. For example, the, the, the increasing sort of power concentration um, that has been going on under Xi Jinping and, of course, the treatment of Muslim minorities in China. I think that the, 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 the optimism that a lot of people in the liberal West had for um, the increasing liberalization of China has gone into a much darker place more recently than that. Yeah, I mean, look, look, I try to stay out of the, the diplomacy and the politics, but certainly if you think about our history in Canada, we came to Canada in the middle of the recession, right? In 2008, 2009, that's when Huawei entered Canada. And, you know, now it's also a complicated time for Huawei, particularly under the Trump administration with some of the kind of the politicization of the rhetoric around 5G. But ultimately, Huawei is one of only a handful of companies that that does what it does. And um, that's why, you know, we sold um, equipment to all of the major and some of the minor operators. And so, you know, the, the sort of the way that we operate in Canada is by staying out of the diplomatic and the political disputes um, that others sort of are focused on. Well, for now... <laughs> Ali Khan, I've got a couple of questions. If your role is to stay out of the political disputes, why is somebody with such deep political ties and such a thin resume from the corporate sector, the VP of corporate affairs for Huawei? 
Um, well, I, I, I'm not sure I would, I would agree with that my CV is, is thin. Um, but, What's your uh, corporate background? Well, I was a, um, a lawyer and I worked at um, McKinsey for a number of years in their telecom practice, uh, both in Canada as well as um, in the United States. So, you know, I mean, it's, uh, that's my corporate background. But I look, it is it's clear that Huawei has, as Canada has, been kind of caught in the middle of this political football between um, President Trump and um, and China and has had to adopt an unusual, unusually public profile and face an unusual degree of scrutiny. And so I think that, uh, you know, it's rare that you have people with telecom backgrounds as I have who can also um, provide advice on those other more thorny political topics. How do you think it's going over with um, your conservative compatriots? Because I, you are one of the founders of the Ethical Oil website and uh, that position, and that took a very aggressive uh, position on foreign interference in Canadian affairs. Jason Kenney, of course, has instigated his war room that's all about uh, contesting foreign involvement in Canadian affairs. Uh, and now you're with a behemoth uh, Chinese company. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I don't think that, uh, you know, kind of anathematizing companies that are founded abroad is, is the Canadian way. I mean, I think that, look, Huawei is incorporated, you know, Huawei Canada is incorporated in Canada. You know, our executives in Canada, like they're the ones through whom our operations in Canada are conducted. And I'm not sure there's really anyone who thinks that you can have a, a made in Canada solution to providing network equipment to telecom providers. I'm not aware of any company in Canada that actually offers that service. We used to have Nortel. Yeah, and not only that, but but that's a little bit not quite right. Pretending that, that this just happens to be a company that happens to have been incorporated in China isn't quite accurate. This is a company with deep, deep ties to the Chinese state, as many major companies in China have. This isn't quite like just, you know, some person in their in their garage in China have founded a company that became Huawei. Well, that I mean, in fact, that's actually almost exactly how Huawei was founded by, by Mr. Ren, very much uh, tinkering away in his garage. But certainly since then, it's grown into a global behemoth. I think we operate in uh, 170 or 180 countries around the world, including Canada, and we're one of the leading network equipment suppliers in Canada. But um, ultimately, I think there's a difference between, you know, saying as, uh, you know, as, as Jason Kenney would, and as I think as all sensible Canadians would, that you can't have, you know, foreign interference in our political system and in major pipeline decisions versus saying that uh, companies that are, you know, that are global shouldn't be selling network equipment in Canada to Canadian carriers when there's but, no... But that's not necessarily the argument. It's not the argument that we should we can't have a foreign company, any old foreign company, selling you know network equipment into the Canadian market. The concern is that because of Huawei's ties to the Chinese state, that there will be elements within the technology they are selling us that can be used for espionage or sabotage. And this becomes especially concerning when we see an increasingly belligerent Chinese state. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just I disagree with the premise of that, particularly the fact that the equipment that we're selling is somehow vulnerable to the to the Chinese state. Look, we, we've been selling network equipment in Canada since 2008. We have been working with all three major telecom carriers in Canada, as well as the smaller ones, uh, including in Alberta and Canadian security agencies. And we have an unblemished record in Canada. We haven't had a single uh, cybersecurity incident or complaint from either the government of Canada and its security agencies or our customers. And so 
you know, when you when you kind of look at the kind of the rhetoric that you see uh, largely emanating out of the United States, but also, you know, out of Australia, um, you have to judge that against the company's record in Canada, which uh, wait, wait, why do we why oh, do we have to I, judge this against the company's record in Canada? Why can't we, for example, look at the fact that the Chinese state sure as hell doesn't have an unblemished record against cybersecurity issues? And also, why is it reasonable to ask Canadians to trust Huawei and to trust by extension the Chinese state when, you know, the Chinese state is detaining two now three Canadians um, indefinitely for political reasons? I mean, I'm not asking anyone to try to to have any feelings whatsoever, warm or otherwise, towards the Chinese state. It's not my job to defend the government of China at all, and nor would I do so. I don't really care to defend any foreign governments. Um, but in terms of Huawei, if you're going to judge us, you have to judge us based on some sort of fact base. And I would say that a decade of operations in Canada is a better fact base than you know the latest rantings out of whatever Republican operative down south. Now, but there are legitimate questions. I'm just going to push back on that. It's not just uh, Republican rantings. There's been a long and bipartisan concern uh, in the U.S. government and the Canadian government as well. Uh, the head of CSIS in December of 2018 was saying that corporate uh, espionage was one of the most crucial intelligence challenges that the Canadian government faced. Uh, the People's Liberation Army uh, was under indictment in 2014 for espionage relating to Westinghouse, Alcoa, Solar World, U.S. Steel, the allegations being that they got past the corporate firewalls, uh, stole technical design specifications, stole manufacturing metrics, and were getting into nuclear uh, capacity, and that the uh, U.S. Department of Justice on the intelligence side, which was um, under Mueller's um, jurisdiction at that time, was watching this and maintaining it and seeing it all the time. And there is not really uh, an adequate firewall or really any firewall between the Chinese government and major telecom companies. So what are the um, uh, assurances that you, sitting in Canada, for Huawei Canada can express that we are going to be protected from this kind of activity. Well, look, I'm not going to defend the PLA because that's not the organization uh, that I work for. But in terms of Huawei, isn't it? Um, no, of, 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 of course not. That's absurd. Um, but you look in terms of Huawei. You know, like I, I mean, the, the former head of CSIS you're referring to, Dick Fadden. Look, I've worked with Dick Fadden for many years, both when he was head of CSIS and when he was NSA. And Huawei was operating in Canada in compliance with the law during that period. And I'm not aware of him making a single complaint both then at the time or since about any evidence from his own time as head of CSIS about Huawei doing anything problematic in Canada. And that's because we we haven't received any complaints about our activities in Canada. So. A lot of these, you know, these issues that you are raising, whether it's related to the government of China or President Xi or the PLA, those are absolutely fair issues to debate. And I think you'll find that I'm quite sympathetic to what I understand to be your position. But it has nothing to do with, you know, selling 4G LTE and 3G and hopefully 5G uh, RAN equipment in Canada. Like these are just these are separate issues. Just because one doesn't like what. Um, the government of China is doing doesn't mean that one can anathematize all things Chinese and certainly not global multinational companies that happen to have been founded in China. Like, I just don't think that one follows from the other.
But let's not be naive here. First of all, the corporate sector uh, and the Chinese government in China do not have the same kind of arm's length position that we are accustomed to in the corporate uh, environment in North America and in the West. There isn't that degree of separation. I don't know. Separation. You may want to ask uh, and- friends at Bombardier or S&C what they think about that one. Let's be serious for a minute. We're talking about Canadians' data. We're talking about information and privacy issues. We're talking about 5G and we're talking about artificial intelligence. We've already seen the vulnerabilities in the uh, Western environment in the U.S. with this new Clearview startup company, which has managed to scrape uh, the identities of just about every photograph of every person on Facebook, Twitter, and everywhere. We are dealing with an assault on privacy of citizens that we've never seen before. We are seeing what's happening in China with the social credit scores. We're seeing what's happening with the Uyghurs. There is every reason why Canadians should want to be concerned. And I'm still looking for more assurances from you than Oh, well, you know, we're totally separate. You don't have to worry about it. Somebody would have said something by now. It's a little bit more complicated than that, is it not? It's certainly very complicated. These are complicated um, issues of engineering and technology, which, um, in my view, um, are, are, you know, best left to technical experts, not pundits, right? This is why we have CSE, Communication Security Establishment, that has been working with operators and with Huawei now for, for many years and with whom we have a, a well-established relationship. And our view is that, you know, questions about vendors and cybersecurity are questions that are best addressed by technical experts and engineers, not by, you know, whatever green room grifter who goes on Twitter and pretends one week that they're experts on ISIS and next week that they're experts on China and the week well, after you're that they're the, experts on well, Iran. Well, you're the representative, so tell us. Well, look, look, there's something I just want to bring up here, because you said you made an interesting point here about SNC and Bombardier, of course, noting the fact that SNC has has some very deep ties to the uh, reigning liberal establishment. Both Sandy and I have been very critical about this in the past. Um, Bombardier, I've been very critical about the funding of Bombardier and the sort of the weird culture of aviation. But I think there's a distinct difference here is that if SNC or Bombardier were operating in another, in another country and they had reason to suspect that the Canadian government was going to use the these companies as a vehicle to harm that country, those countries would be entirely well within their rights to tell SNC and Babardi to fuck right off. So please tell me why Huawei, you know, a company that has, is deeply interconnected with um, the, the government of China that is engaging in all of these practices that Sandy very eloquently pointed out, why in the world should Canadians trust Huawei? You keep on coming back to this idea that, you know, this Huawei has some unblemished record in Canada. But I don't give a shit about its unblemished record in Canada. Its unblemished record in Canada is not relevant when you look at the global context. I mean, if you look at the global context, you know, like our own our founder, um, Mr. Ren in China, has been asked about this uh, by the media on a number of occasions. And he's been asked, what would you do if you were to receive an inappropriate request from the Chinese government? Right. How would you handle it? And he's been quite clear. He said he's rather shut down the company than comply with an inappropriate request. And he's backed that up by explaining that Huawei operates in more than 170 countries around the world. And the moment it were to 
do something like that. The moment it were to get itself entangled in an inappropriate request, it would stop being a global company that's operating in 170 countries, and it would just become a Chinese company that operates in one, and he would never allow that to happen to his company. But the idea that we like, or that all of these countries could just instantly kick Huawei out after they had been deeply integrated into the network connections and the technical fabric of their country is not realistic. That's the concern with letting Huawei come in and install 5G networks, because if it did turn out to the, that either the technical specifications were corrupt in some way or that the Chinese government were to use that technology in ways that were uh, inappropriate, um, there's very little that Canada could do about it. <laughs> once it's in, once it's in the fabric of your of your network, it's not easy to just sort of say, OK, well, you're an enemy to our state, an enemy to our state's interests. So therefore, we're just going to shut down the 5G network. I mean, I think that resiliency issues aren't company specific issues they're um they're industry specific issues right so the supply chains of huawei as well as our competitors whether it's nokia whether it's ericsson they're global supply chains their r d work reaches into china as does their manufacturing right and so the same sort of concerns right that one might have about manufacturing huawei gear in china applies equally to every other company that has employees when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN in China manufacturing gear uh, in China like our competitors. And that's why the solutions that are pursued by operators and the solutions that are pursued by cybersecurity agencies tend not to be company specific. They tend to be industry-wide. And at the heart of those solutions is to build in redundancies and competition between multiple equipment providers to create optionality. But the point is, that's the sort of the professional advice that comes from experts and engineers and technical experts, the level of sort of technical sophistication that's probably greater than what you find in the sort of, you know, the debate on on the Twitter and, you know, who's a Chinese spy and who's not. And so, I mean, I think that our position at Huawei is that decisions on 5G should be made based on technology, trusting the technical experts and not based on politics. That's sort of how we approach these debates. Okay, but what about the technical experts who have expressed concerns here in Canada? I mean, look, I think we have an unblemished track record working with CSE. I'm not aware of CSE expressing any concerns uh, about Huawei. I think if you look at, you know, for each Dick Fadden, you know, you quote, I, I can find a former head of MI6 who says the opposite. The reality is this is a debate where there are people on both sides of the issues. And I think conceptually, what divides them, I think, and I've spoken about this with Dick Fadden, what makes his perspective different than our perspective is this. It's that we believe that these concerns, that these risks, that these criticisms have a technical engineering solution, and he doesn't, right? He fundamentally believes that Canada should limit its exposure to um things Chinese because of the risks that are inherent in operating with Chinese companies. And I, I don't agree with that perspective, but I understand where he's coming from. And ultimately, the way we approach it is that we say that these concerns 
admit technical solutions, and we are happy to work with operators and the government to find those technical solutions on 5G, just like we have with 4G LTE. So, so this, this is interesting, because I think there's I think there are two different paradigms here. You keep on saying that there are technical solutions that would make this technology totally safe and impenetrable and all these sorts of things. And a lot of the people in the West are coming up and saying, it's not a technical problem, it's a trust problem. Fundamentally, if we can't trust you to operate in a fair and reasonable way, as we would expect any other uh, company to operate, and if we can't trust your technical experts, then there's no deal here. There's no way forward if the two you know, states can't see eye to eye and, and, and fundamentally trust one another. And I, I don't think that, that China has given us a lot of reason to trust them. I mean, I think that uh, I can only speak about the trust that Huawei tries to build. And we, we all know trust is difficult. You know, we we see in Alberta some of the challenges with trust and social license that the industry there has to deal with. I think you have this across the country. What we try to do to build trust is to be as transparent as possible. So this is why we bring media to our headquarters in China. We bring them, you know, we have a standing invite to those who can't make it to China to come to our headquarters in Markham or anywhere else to introduce people to our technical experts and to our executives. We build a trust-based relationship with the government by working with their programs and we're fully compliant with those. But ultimately, Aside from being transparent and providing as much access as we can, you know, like what what else can we do? You know, could you give up your IP to Canadian authorities the way that um, Western operators are expected to give up their IP to the Chinese government in order to operate there? I mean, like, I mean, I, 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 I'm not. Again, I'm not going to defend the actions of the government of, of China because that's not. But what you're saying. But, but I'm just going to. I'm just going to ask you. You're saying that you're fully transparent. Would you give up your IP to Canadian authorities? We have said we're willing to meet any test or any burden or any requirement that is imposed on us by the government of Canada, as we have in the past. So, in terms of specifics related to you know, our code or what have you. There's a there's a program in place called the Security Review Program, and we're fully compliant with that program. And as they work to develop the rules for 5G, we've said that we want to be part of the 5G solution in Canada, and we're prepared to meet any test and any burden that the government may wish to impose on us. And, you know, we've been consistent on that. And look, in terms of 5G, our founder has said that he's even been willing to license our 5G technology to um, to U.S. providers, if there were a willing buyer, so you know, um, like these are these are. So the answer to that question is yes. It's yes. Yes. If okay. It's a request from the government of Canada. We're happy to meet that burden because we want to provide equipment in Canada. This episode of Oppo is brought to you in part by HelloFresh, Canada's most recommended meal kit. Try new recipes, learn new cooking techniques, and enjoy new tastes every week with HelloFresh's ever-changing menu. There's something for everyone with world cuisines, vegetarian recipes, beyond meat options, seasonal favorites, and 20-minute meals. HelloFresh's culinary team creates delicious recipes with customer feedback in mind, reading every comment before they work their magic in the kitchen to create new recipes or bring back your favorites. HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients mean there's less prep for you and less food waste. The packaging HelloFresh uses to ship your food is almost entirely made from recyclable or already recycled content. Now, Sandy, do you cook a lot anymore? Not so much. I'm a little bit empty nester and I just kind of, we kind of make our way. What about you? Well, I'm somewhat jealous because I have to cook a hell of a lot because I have two small kids and they're terrible at restaurants and it's either me cook something or us order something in. And I have to be honest with you, when you've got like screaming infants and screaming toddlers at your heels, having a meal kit is really brilliant because they automatically tell me what I'm going to cook. 
They automatically provide the pre-portioned food to my door so I don't even have to take my terrible children grocery shopping. And I can make them really, really quickly. Like, in between putting the baby down and her screaming, I can usually get a meal on the table. So it's absolutely saved my life. And I highly recommend you try these meal kits if you haven't already. For a total of $70 off your first three weeks of HelloFresh, and that is actually a great deal. Go to hellofresh.ca slash oppo70 and enter the code OPPO70. That's $70 off your first three weeks at hellofresh.ca slash oppo70, promo code OPPO70. Definitely check it out. Last year, Sandy wrote this really brilliant column uh, looking at the Meng Wanzhou case. And, you know, I'm kind of on the fence on this particular issue myself, but she made a really interesting point that suggested that Canada has found itself in the midst of a diplomatic quagmire not of its own making, that essentially it was asked by the American government to extradite Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou for various, uh, for various infractions of Iranian sanctions, if I believe it's the simplest way to put it. However, as a result of this, the Chinese have responded by detaining Canadian citizens, and also by um, restricting imports of, of, of very serious Canadian agricultural exports. And Sandy's made a really interesting case that essentially because the Americans have muddied the waters here by saying that Meng Wanzhou was uh, extradited in order to gain um, basically a bargaining chip in uh, the ongoing trade deal between the US and China, that Canada may actually have a very legal, perfectly valid reason to not comply with the extradition order and to release her. I believe, Sandy, is that is that basically the best way of summing this up? Well, that's how I saw it. I'm not sure that that's the argument that the defense has put forward uh, there or that they're fully advancing. We're not seeing all of their arguments yet. A lot of this will come, the abusive process argument, which I think this falls into, is going to be coming in June. But that's that's the essence, that Donald Trump, who has already admitted that he is willing to trade Meng Wanzhou for concessions, uh, for Chinese concessions, that that's just, that he's mixing the justice system and he's making us do his dirty work and that, that we shouldn't be part of that. I'm nodding in agreement. Look, first, just a caveat. Look, Meng Wanzhou is represented by counsel and you know only they speak on her behalf um, and they do so in the courtroom. Obviously, as a company... We believe in her um, innocence and we have confidence that uh, the courts here will will come to the same um, conclusion. We've also been very clear that the actions of the Trump administration constitute an abusive process here, not just his um, his commentary on social media, where he's he's threatened to use her as a pawn, as a bargaining chip in his trade dispute with China, which is absolutely inappropriate, but also in terms of um, how her extradition was politicized, um, treatment at the airport. These are all things that, you know, her lawyers will advance in court in the fullness of time that the courts will be seized of. And we're convinced that his actions um, are inappropriate and constitute an abusive process. And, you know, in, uh, in addition to, to Sandy's article, um, the Globe and Mail's uh, Bob Fife and I think Steve Chase have also reported on some of the sordid background um, in the days leading up to her detention, including the the apparent involvement of John Bolton, which again confirms our view that uh, that uh, this has been a, a gross abusive process with Canada as the victim, right? Canada has been, been forced reluctantly um, through no fault of its own in to the middle of a trade dispute between Donald Trump and China. 
Okay, but Alec, here's one of these weird situations where even when there is a case where uh, Huawei Executive Meng Wanzhou may have a, a perfectly valid case here, and this may in fact be a, a, an abuse of due process, you know, then we see weird shit that just just completely sets my teeth on edge and makes me not want to trust either the company or China. And for example, um, when uh, Meng Wanzhou uh, recently appeared in court, a bunch of protesters showed up all carrying signs that looked like they had been written by the same hand, with the same Sharpie. Um, you know, the protesters looked all very young, very dubious, not the sort of people who you would generally see getting worked up over an abusive due process case like this. And lo and behold, what did we find out? They were paid actors. And then, of course, the protest then gets used by Chinese propaganda to try and create the illusion of some kind of popular support for Meng Wanzhou. Now, Huawei obviously denied any involvement in this protest. <laughs> and we know they're actors, right? These are people who are paid actors. They were paid actors. They admitted that uh, to The Guardian and many other organizations that they were paid actors. They were very clearly had no idea what they were engaged in. So like when I see stuff like this, I just go like, holy shit, even when you guys have a case, you can't stop shooting yourself in the bloody foot here because like this is so creepy and so completely counterproductive to the sorts of behavior that we normally are accustomed to in democratic societies that, you know, it's really hard to get behind the abuse of due process argument. Look, I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm, I'm violently agreeing with you. I think uh, I, I saw the protesters uh, when I showed up in the courtroom. I immediately latched on to the fact that all the signs were written in the same handwriting We've denied uh, as a company knowing about it, having any role in this. We learned about it at the so same time. So you did not pay these protesters? No, because that would be because it's such a it's such a transparently um, dumb idea um, to do so. And I'm surprised. Do you have any ideas who might have been paying them? Your guess is as good as mine. Do you think really? it could have been the Chinese? I, I mean, I take I take the approach qui bono, right? Who benefits? And it certainly wasn't us, right? It like we, you know, it's, uh, it certainly it certainly wasn't us. It, it led to a, a bunch of you know negative stories in Canada as we had to deny quite correctly and quite appropriately any any role in this. And I don't think it helps, right? Like I, I, you know, our position is that we don't condone it. We don't think it's helpful, and we've tried to limit ourselves to making our arguments in the courtroom, not by staging stunts outside of the courtroom. I'm not sure who benefits from it. I feel bad for their parents you know, to have to see um, their kids embarrassed that The audience for this obviously wasn't Canadians. The audience for this was obviously Chinese. Like the the audience, the way that that this clip was used and then recirculated into in Chinese state propaganda was clearly meant to give the impression to people in China that there was some kind of grassroots movement of support in favor of Meng Wanzhou. I mean, it also had a reputational impact, I feel, on us in Canada, right? Because, you know, we're having to face these questions. Uh, You know, I spent much of, I think... uh, Tuesday, um, answering questions on this from media. So whatever, you know, PR hit that I think this, I saw the CCTV broadcast got in China. We then, you know, got the opposite effect in Canada where it probably matters more. And all I can say is- What was so interesting is that after, right after that little clip of the protesters that appeared on state Chinese state TV, there was a clip from a Huawei executive who made some very anodyne statement about, you know, hoping for Miss Meng Wanzhou's release. So, like, it, it just doesn't look great. Look, I don't know how CCTV assembles their story. I mean, that's not my world. I think that our spokesman, uh, Ben, gave a, a, a video statement. I, I know CTV aired it. I think uh, I think TVI aired one from our, our, our Quebec uh, spokesperson. How they assemble that into their overall news story is really something you may want to ask, like the editors of CCTV. But ultimately, I mean, 
I speak for Huawei. I don't speak for CCTV. And all I can say on the protests is um, we had no knowledge of it. We don't condone it. We don't think it was helpful. Um, and we don't think it was helpful because we make our arguments inside the courtroom, not by staging stunts outside. And the very fact that we're discussing it is a sign that if anyone thought that doing so would benefit you know, uh, us, it, it clearly hasn't. It's had the opposite impact. And that's because it's a really stupid idea. Did you tell the Chinese that? I mean, I don't. I don't speak to the Chinese. Like, I didn't. I didn't. I don't pick up a phone and. and but but you know, have the I mean, somebody somebody at the Canadian. Then not, no, but I mean, surely. I mean, you have contacts at the Chinese consul office in Canada. I mean, no, I actually, I actually don't deal with foreign governments um, at all. I don't. That that's not what being a tech executive in Canada at uh, or Huawei entails. I certainly spoke to my colleagues at Huawei who were with me in Vancouver as well as those. Um, elsewhere. And I, I said, you know, there's a bunch of protesters holding signs and we all kind of agreed, well, this is dumb. And we all, you know, sort of said, well, we should probably, you know, prepare for media questions on whether we were behind it and we weren't. And so we said so. And, uh, you know, some, sometimes difficult, you know, we braced ourselves for the ensuing negative stories, right? Uh, like, because our focus is on what's happening inside the courtroom, not outside. But, uh, what else? Like, I find that a lot of these discussions get diverted by the fact that people see something bad happening or something bad happening in China, and then they're looking for someone to blame who is Chinese, right? And um, look, Huawei is a company that's founded in China that operates here, but that doesn't mean that we have to answer for everything that people dislike about what's happening half a world away. Like what's next? Can I, Asking me can... about coronavirus and whether I was behind that? Is it not the case that um, that Huawei accepted some up to $75 billion worth of assistance between uh, uh, subsidies and loans and lines of credit from the Chinese government as reported by the Wall Street Journal? I, I'm familiar with that story. I think that uh, Every single tech company, including every single um, uh, network equipment provider, gets some range of um, of support from governments. I know in Canada, Ericsson just got some sort of support from the government of Canada. It's not unusual for governments to um, invest in um, in sectors of the economy that it wants to encourage. You know, Huawei has sought and received support in the past from Canadian governments, provincial governments uh, to grow here. And that's just not unusual in this sector or this industry. But and I hate to bring it back to Bombardier SNC, but the <coughs> same thing happens with them, just as it happens to um, in the US uh, with uh, support for defense companies. Like this happens uh, around the world. Would you n not say that $75 billion is a little bit more than the average level of subsidy? Um, and to the extent that your CEO says, well, if the Chinese government asked me to do something that I didn't agree with ethically, I would just shut the company down. How free is he really to do that in China, do you think? I mean, look, he's received legal advice, in fact, from Clifford Chance, which is a, a British law firm, a very uh, prominent British law firm, one of the biggest in the world, about that very question, right, about the compliance obligations of Huawei under, um, you know, these Chinese laws. And they've said that you would have a valid legal basis to um, decline to follow them. And he said he would. But fundamentally, we have to also understand that the equipment that we sell in Canada is reviewed not just by our customers in Canada, but also by our cybersecurity agencies for precisely 
you know, these sorts of vulnerabilities. And they don't get installed in the network of operators until after they've undergone that review. And there's no sort of remote access that Huawei has once they're installed, right? They're the operator's property in the same way as if you buy, if you go into a Rogers store and you buy a Huawei P30 Pro, it's not Huawei's anymore. It's your phone at that point. Like conceptually, um, it's the same. Look, I would just say, look, I think that we're a heavily scrutinized company and we should be a heavily scrutinized company. I think these are serious questions and we should be subject to them. And all I would say is people should withhold judgment until they've had a chance to visit one of our plants, visit um, one of our facilities, meet our executives and see that, um, you know, this is not some, you know, we're not some sort of cyber villain in an espionage thriller putting lasers on the heads of sharks. Like we're a bunch of engineers solving. I mean, I'm a lawyer. I'm not an engineer, but most of my colleagues are engineers solving engineering problems with, you know, the same sort of boring workplace issues as anyone else, like who left a tuna sandwich in the fridge for too long. And I think that the demystification of Huawei will make people realize that it's just a bunch of boring engineers, you know, tinkering away in their labs. All right. Well, again, thank you for uh, this was a a tough interview. And I really appreciate that you uh, sat through it and uh, answered our questions. And it was really, really great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Great. Thanks, Alika. Well, that's it for Oppo this week. We will be back in two weeks. Get in touch at oppo at canadalandshow.com or find us on Twitter at oppocast. This episode was produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Theme music by Nathan Burley. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.